Um, Monday, we, it, we did the eclipse thing. Uh, we were sitting, we, sat at, we were just sitting out in the driveway, got out from under the trees, and it was, it was pretty, it was awesome. Then right at the, kind of, we got almost three quarters, and right about three quarters, we had a cloud, a big cloud that just came over where we were, and it got dark. We didn't see the whole thing, but it got dark. It was awesome. It was a, quite an experience. But some of you had an awesome view. Tim, Tim Switzer was, and uh, he and his wife were with the Roshids at that, and he, he took, Tim got a special, ordered a special lens for his camera. Craig, we want you to, see, I want you to see the eclipse the way Tim sent it to, to me. And look at this one. And then the next one. Look at that. Wow. What a display of, of his greatness of our of a creator God who, who did that. And I, I understood from Jim Powell this morning that uh, one, of his, one of his kinfolks, young man, was watching the eclipse. And in the midst of the eclipse, out in the, out in the outside, right, Jim? Ten-year-old boy just decided, you know what? If this is God can do all this, I need to serve him. And he got saved right in the middle of the eclipse. Isn't that pretty awesome? I, wow. I think, I think it's awesome. Well, I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Matthew. And Children's Church are going to be excused to go back to Mr. Coach Pope. And I want to thank those uh, our coaches uh, that are helping with Upward. What a fantastic job uh, y'all do. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Appreciate your prayers for that ministry. Tremendous opportunity of uh, creating opportunities to share Jesus with kids and with their families. We're in Matthew chapter 12, and um, what we're seeing is, is in Matthew 12 is, is really like a hinge, because up to this point, as Jesus has been, as his, his ministry, and he's been proclaiming, and he's been uh, declaring the word of God, and, and revealing himself in the works that he's doing, and as, as, incur, as uh, the crowds have grown and grown, and when we get to chapter 12, uh, we see that those that were in opposition and those that were against him, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and others, that, that, that they become more bold and more bold. Matter of fact, when we left off uh, last time in Matthew chapter 12, we left off with verse 14. And what had happened is, is Jesus had just, uh, he and his disciples had went through the, the fields on the Sabbath day and they had uh, took some grain and they had eat it and that just infuriated the, the scribes and Pharisees who said they were, they were breaking their law. And then Jesus, on top of that, Jesus had healed a man that had a crippled hand or a withered hand on the Sabbath in the, in the synagogue. And by, that, by, by the time they'd done that in verse 14, the, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees got together, or the Pharisees, and they held a meeting. And the, the meeting was, how can we get rid of him? How can we kill him? And it, it, it had become obvious to them that if, if this man, this, this teacher, that no longer could be ignored because now he is breaking their rules and their laws, and not only that, but he is doing it blatantly in front of everybody else. He's healing on the Sabbath. And if he's doing all this openly like this, if we don't stop him soon, we'll have nobody paying any attention to what we do and we'll lose control of the situation. And so they, we got to get rid of him. We got we got to shut him up. We got to kill him. As we and we're going to continue with that this morning, up until, and again up and in through chapter twelve, 
Jesus is speaking very directly to the people, teaching very clearly. And we're going to see, we're going to hear some clear talking this morning. As we get into chapter 13, it changes. Chapter 13 begins Jesus speaking to them in parables. And later on in chapter 13, he tells us why that, that up until this time, Jesus' message has been repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now the message is going to be repent. And he's going to speak in parables because those who believe in him and hear him are going to understand, but those who don't are not going to understand. I, uh, I've been, I, I was chewing on this 12th chapter. I've been chewing it like gnawing on a corn on a cob for a few weeks here. And I, and I really have, and I'm, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, man, what, what do you want me to preach? What, what do you want me to preach here? What, what should I, what are you trying to say to me? And uh, so I, there's, there's three messages. And I'm going to preach them all to you this morning. If you're calling Papa's Pizza, it's 1999, not 911. Don't want, don't want first responders out here. I have had made that mis- mistake. So I don't want first responders out here delivering pizzas, okay? But it won't be that bad. But we're going to pick up with it in verse 15. Let me pray, and then I'll, we just want to walk through this together. Father, now we invite your Holy Spirit. Lord, be our teacher. Lord, would you take the word of God that's Holy Spirit breathe, and would you speak to our minds in our hearts and apply it to our lives that you would do all that you want to do with us here this morning. In Christ I pray, amen. We pick up at verse 15, it says, but when Jesus knew it, he knew that, the, that now the religious, religious leaders are, are plotting to kill him, is that he withdraws himself from them and great multitudes follow him and he heals them all. In verse 16, and he charges them, don't tell anybody so that it would be fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet had said. And Isaiah, Jesus is quoting Isaiah in beginning in verse 18, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, will put my spirit, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He'll not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not put out till he sent forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. He was quoting Isaiah. Then they brought to Jesus a man that was possessed with the devil and he was blind and dumb and Jesus healed him insomuch that the man saw and the man spoke. And all the people in verse 23 were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Now that's pretty significant. Up until this time, the son of God, absolutely. But the son of David was a, was a title, was a, a name that was given and was reserved for the Messiah when he would come. And so now in seeing all that he'd done and seeing the miracles he's done and now having seen this, this man who couldn't see, who was blind and who could not speak and Jesus healing him and casting demons out of him, then the people said, this has got to be the Messiah. This has got to be him. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils except by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. 
So the Pharisees had heard what happened and the people were, were getting ready to declare Jesus was the Messiah. And so the Pharisees moved quickly to put a spin on what was happening. And they said, this man didn't do this by the power of God. This man is the chief of the devils. Beelzebub is referring to the Baal worship. He said, he's, he's, uh, he's part of the, 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 the devil himself. And it's just the devil trying to deceive you. That's how come he's, he's doing all this. Verse 25, Jesus must not have been there when they were saying this, but look what verse 25 says. He knew their thoughts. And so he says to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first tie up the strong man and then he can rob his house? Verse 30. And verse 30 is the first message. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. These accusations and this division and Jesus not me, but Jesus lays it on the line and speaks truth. And Jesus takes away the opportunity to straddle the fence or to live a neutral life when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no other options. Now, that's not very comfortable to a lot of people today because I've had people say to me, well, I'm, I'm not... No, I'm not a Christian, but I don't go around persecuting people. I don't go around persecuting Christians. And if, if, if you know, if those Christians, weak-minded as they are, if those Christians need a crutch or need, need to believe in that, that's okay for them. Reminded of a story, I was told, uh, read a sermon about it, about the Titanic. And it had left its maiden, it left it on that maiden, that fateful voyage. Now, I know Paul can tell me, Paul, I was trying to think, where did it sail from, England? Huh? Liverpool. Is that England? All right. Sail, it sailed from there. And, uh, and after the, the news is, is getting back that, that the great ship has gone down. And then people began waiting news of were their loved ones rescued? Were their loved ones, were they rescued or did they go down with the ship? And the story is told that there in Liverpool, where they sailed, they put two lists up on the wall, nailed them to the wall, and they would add the names as, as word came in. And the list was two lists. One of them said saved, and the other one said lost. My friends, this morning, when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him as your savior, there's just two options. You either know him and you've trusted him and received him as your Lord and savior, or you're lost. Don't get mad at me. That's Jesus' words. And don't get mad at Jesus because he loves us enough that he wants us to be sure that we know that there's no Switzerland when it comes. There's no neutral place we go and say, well, I'm neither here nor there. You either are or you ain't. Do you know him this morning? 
Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ said, you either are or you're not. That's the first message. We go on in verse 31. Jesus said, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven to men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruits. Now, Jesus his concern is not with the trees here, but he's speaking so that they understand him when he talks about a tree. He continues on, and his words are strong. And notice the context of which he's saying this now, of that they had accused him of casting these demons out because he was chief among the demons. And so Jesus is talking to him, and Jesus says to them this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart. Well, I'm back up, verse 34. He calls them, oh, generation of vipers. That's a strong language. You bunch of snakes. Oh, generation of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account for in the day of judgment. Now, King James has got idle. What's, what's another translation has got in verse 36? Instead of idle, what does your translation say? Every careless, every careless word that we speak, we're going to have to give an account for. He says, for by their words, thou shalt be justified. By thy words, thou shalt be justified. And by thy words, thou shalt be condemned. Now again, Jesus' concern is not so much as the, about their words, but it's about their hearts. But Jesus was saying that our hearts are revealed by our words often. And what comes out of our mouth, the things we say, the things we do, have a root that's deep within our heart. And he says, and it's sobering, that we will stand and give an account. That's his words in verse 36. We will give an account of every careless word that's come out of our mouth because it first originated in our heart. Careless words, slander, malicious gossip, backbiting, whispering, all come from a heart. It's a heart problem. And you may try to clean up our words, but the words have the root deeper in ourselves than the mouth. It says, the says, for out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says, for the, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. And this is the second message. Jesus is saying to us, you're either saved or you're not. 
You're either with me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. And he's saying that oftentimes what we say and what we do may reveal the inner condition of our, of our soul and of our heart. How's your heart? He continues on. He says this, and then the third message. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered and saying, Master, we would see a sign from you. This has got to be either one of the most dumbest things that's ever been said, or it's got to be one of the most brazen things that's ever been said. Look at this. Master, I, I, when, they, when I read, the, I, I underline the word master, they didn't believe he was the master. They've already deployed they need to get rid of him. And they, they said, just show us something. Prove to us that you really are the Messiah. You've got to be kidding me. We just got through reading this. Scripture says he has just finished or he's just been in the process of healing every kind of disease, every kind of illness. He's healed it. The lame walk, those that have been blind and those that could not speak, they just seen them, speak to them and, and then see and speak and declare God's glory. The dead have been raised to life. They have seen him as he spoke and was master as Jim prayed about the, the, the weather. Our, they've seen him command the storms and peace be there and they've heard this. He is the one who speaks peace. He is the one who brings healing. He's the one that's a sovereign of all. And then they say to him, just do something to show us who you really are. They're not looking for something to confirm who he really is. Because of all that he's already done, if these things can't convince them that he is who he is, nothing, he couldn't do anything else to convince them. We just finished. By the way, thank you, Nathan Oliver, for your prayers. God's answering that. We just finished last Sunday night watching The Case for Christ based on the true story of Lee Strobel who was an atheist and Lee's wife come to, comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lee was an atheistic journal, works for the Chicago Tribune. And so knowing that he was losing his wife, he was losing his family, he was losing everything to this crazy radical religion, he set out to disprove that. And the way to disprove that was to discredit the one that she was following, which was Jesus Christ. And so in the process of discrediting that, one of the doctors or professors that he had went to for research, asked him this question, said, Lee, when is enough evidence going to be enough? You may be here this morning and if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you may be weighing this evidence. Is he, is he, is he who he says he is or he's not? It's okay to weigh the evidence. But how much evidence is it going to take for you to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of the world and He loves you and He died for you and He wants a relationship with you? To these Pharisees, they had seen all the miracles. They had heard all the words. They had seen all the works. And nothing else He could do could do, be more powerful than that. But they come to Him and said, just do one more thing. I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to if I titled the message to these three sermons, it would be, here's your sign. <laughs> now, 
somebody, I think somebody told me after first service, they think they attributed that to Jeff Foxworthy. It sounds like, I, I don't know. I was trying to find out. Barbie and I were trying to find out. And I, I went to a good source of spiritual information. I went to my phone. And, uh, and I went to, to Siri. And uh, so we're trying to ask Siri all these things. My daughter-in-law told me you can ask her almost anything and she can find it. So Barbie's texting this morning and she said, Siri, she said, here's your sign. And Siri says, I don't want to talk about myself. This is a fickle woman that I have in my phone named Siri. Sometimes she is wonderful. Sometimes she is like, throw that phone away. How did she get in there anyway? So I couldn't find out, here's your sign. But geez, these religious leaders, these people are looking for a sign and they say that's what they need, but you and I both know that all that Jesus had done, what more could he do? But there may, you may be here this morning, and there may be in your life, you may be saying, well, if he's really God, and if Jesus is really, if he really does love me, then why don't he do this? Or why don't he do that? And you may still be looking for a son. Every week at the house of prayer, and I love this. Every week we, we faithfully, we pray for prayer requests. This morning has been an exceptional morning because this morning we've heard the response. We've heard Lou come up and give praise as, as people pray and as people work, how God saved a life. We hear the response from Rich and Carol, how God miraculously, miraculously these three teenagers in all three in critical condition, and yet they're, they're, they're improving. We hear testimony after testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness. And we pray. And there's some, sometimes God chooses to, to, to just miraculously do the, 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 the un, you know, almost the unimaginable. And sometimes we pray and, and we pray. Maury was here, Maury Johnson, we pray. And Maury's struggling with cancer. And I don't know, I don't know the situation, but I know this. I believe that God is God. And that he is worthy not only of my allegiance and my yielding to him, but he's also totally worthy of everything I am following him. Who else are you going to pray to? What else are you waiting on if you're here this morning and you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior? What else are you waiting on him to do? I also know a few, some Christian friends and family that they're saved and there's no, no question about it. They believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And that, but for some reason, they're, they're, they're fearful of just trusting him completely. And you may be here and you may be a Christian and you may be asking God to give you a sign. Now, I, I know there's a difference. Gideon, God called Gideon to go, Gideon, Gideon? He called Gideon to go whip the Midianites and Gideon, you know, and, and Gideon wanted to be sure it was God. Now, that's a good thing. So he, he did the fleece thing. Lord, if this is really you, then let this happen. Okay, he did. Lord, this is, if this is really you, then let this other thing happen. And he did. But once he knew it was God, what did he do? He took and he chopped the wood of the harness up and he killed the oxen and he offered them as a sacrifice. Then he went to whoop the Midianites. It's okay to try the spirits. If, you're, if you want to be sure that it's God speaking to you to do something, God understands if you're saying, okay, I want to be sure it's you, God. Or he knows if it's just a put off. 
But you may be here and you may be really, you know, really serious about it. But you may be here and say, well, well, I just need God to do this one more thing or that one more thing before I can really trust him for this. Don't be like these people who wanted one more sign, but they wasn't going to believe. It wasn't going to change no matter what he did. That's the second message. And then he says to him, he says to him, uh, well, the second message was, was about our words. The third message is they sought a sign. And Jesus answered him. He said, they said, do us a sign. In verse 39, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign and no sign shall be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, there's some people that are probably a lot more smarter than I'll ever be, who, who, who they read the Old Testament book of Jonah and they say, it's impossible for a fish to be large enough to swallow a human being and for that human being to live three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and then for that fish to vomit that person up alive on dry ground. That's just impossible. It's got to be some kind of allegory or something. Well, I just want to tell you, Jesus Christ gives credence and validity, not that he had to, but he gave, here he gives validity to the whole story of Jonah. Yes, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, swallowed him alive. Yes, in the belly of the whale, he cries out to God. Yes, three days later, he's vomited up on dry ground. And now here Jonah is, I had one guy saying, can you imagine what the stomach juices did three days in there? He would have been bleached white, almost looked like an albino, and he must have smelt like the inside of a fish. But can you imagine this? But oh, Jonah, once he hits dry ground, he heads for Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh, this great city that is in so much rebellion against God, and Jonah goes preaching a message of repentance. God got his attention. Don't make God use a big fish to get your attention. I bet if Jonah could be here today, he'd say, oh, it's not the best idea. The best idea I ever had in the world was not to head towards Joppa. You know, that's an experience I will never get over, but I want to tell you, I bet God never had to tell him twice after that. So Jonah goes preaching repentance, and this great city repents in sackcloth and ashes. Which is easier? Show us a sign. I believe it's his crucifixion. Even in his death, there was those that mocked that stood by and said, if you really are the son of God, come down off the cross. Then we will believe that you were the son of God. No, they wouldn't have. No, they wouldn't have. Reminds me of a story. I want to I land. I'm, I'm closing. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 16. I read this and uh, immediately thought of Luke 16. Luke 16 is a story you're very familiar with. It's a story of, of a rich man and the Lazarus. Jesus is telling the story. And he said this rich man had a lot of wealth, fared sumptuously. In other words, he was being, he was being blessed hand over fist. Crops, wealth, investments, all of it. He was being blessed tremendously. And at the same time, there's a, a, a beggar by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was so poor 
that he would go through the garbage can of the rich man to, to try to find some meat left on the bones. He, was, he, would, he would eat the scraps that came from the rich man's table. Lazarus not only was poor, but Lazarus, Lazarus was in this condition also. He was maybe because of a lack of a proper diet or for whatever, but, but his, his, his uh, health, he was, he was eat up with sores and he didn't even have the money to get salve to put on him or a doctor to tend to him. And scripture says that dogs would lick his sores to give him some comfort and some pain in what was going on. But both to the rich man and to Lazarus, scripture says they both died. And the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes. Now hear me clearly, the, this rich man did not go to hell because he was rich any more than you go to heaven because you're poor. Scripture makes it very plain that those who, who hell will be their eternal destination are those who have rejected God's free gift of Jesus Christ. And they've refused that. And so in hell, the rich man lifts up his eyes and scripture says that Lazarus died and is carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man looks and he sees Lazarus over there comforted and in a place that looks like it'd be awesome to be in. And so the rich man says, hey, Father Abraham, let Lazarus come and just, just dip his fingers in water and wet my, my, my parched lips, my tongue, quench this pain and this thirst. Father Abraham says, nope, he can't come here, you can't go there. Then and we're going to pick up in Luke 16, verse 27. Then the rich man says, I pray, therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. For I've got five brothers there that he could testify to them so that they won't come to this place of torment. I've heard it said, and you have too, that people in hell are more evangelistic minded than many in our churches. He once realized that his... His fate was sealed. Now he's saying, but don't let my brothers come here. No doubt his brothers may have looked up and said, I want to be just like him. Look at him. He's got it all, man. He's got it all. I want to be just like him. And now he realizes, tell him not to be like me. Barbie and I were traveling, went down to the grandson's ball game at Dawson County yesterday. Saw it on a church sign somewhere. I don't know where it was. It may be here in Union County, but I liked it. And the sign says, don't miss heaven for the world. Yeah, Woody, I, I read that. I said, Barb, I've never heard that, but that's good. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason. I don't presume to know this, the rich man's thinking in his heart. But it's just possible that he, got, he was so busy with living he was so busy with being blessed. He was so busy with, with trying to figure out what he was going to do with all that he had been blessed with. That he just didn't have time for eternity right then. Maybe he's like some of you. Maybe he's thinking, one day I will. One day I will. See, someone said to me one time that hell 
There are many people in hell who intended on being saved tomorrow. These people had weighed the evidence. They had seen the signs and the miracles and they were convinced that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And you may be here this morning and you, you know that Jesus loves you. You know that Jesus is God's son and you, you know you need to do something about it. But your thinking is, I'll just, I'll do that sometime later. Who was it? One of the kings that Paul was witnessing to said at a more convenient time, I'll call for you. My friend, when the Holy Spirit of God reveals to you that you're lost and in need of a savior, don't presume upon tomorrow. In hell, this rich man says, send somebody to go tell my brothers. I don't want my brothers to come here. Listen now. And Abraham said to him, they've Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Listen to what the rich man says in verse 30. And he said to him, no, Father Abraham, but if one would go to them from the dead, they would repent. Every time I read this, and I've wondered, every time I read this scripture, I think of Jesus. I think of Jesus. Jonah, Jesus, I said, show us a sign. Jesus said, here's your sign. Jonah was dead, or Jonah was in the belly of the wheel for three days, then he came forth. Jesus would pour out his life on the cross. He would be dead. He would be graveyard dead on the cross. Dead, dead. Buried in a tomb. Three days later, the tomb would be open for the world to see and he's gone. He's out of there. He's a living, risen Savior and he will never die again. And this living Lord says to you and me, this is who I am. I've, everything I've done, I've done to show you and let you know how much I love you and to let you know who I am. Follow me. Don't be one that would say, uh, let me think about that. Once you know who he is, listen to Abraham's words to the rich man in verse 31, and then we're going to land this plane. He said to him, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, look at this now, though one rose from the dead. Wow. Wow. Three sermons, one very clear. Jesus says, where are you? You're either with me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. Two, he says, and you wanna know about your heart? Then our heart oftentimes is revealed in our words and, our, and what we do. And we're gonna to have to give an account of every careless word we speak. Recently, uh, Mr. Pastor Jeff spoke to, to MACA students and it great, he was talking to him about our words and how our words matter and how we have to be careful that we don't slip into Christian cussing. I know, our words matter. And in the third message, they were looking for a sign and Jesus said, you've already got it. This morning, are you looking for something else that Jesus has already done? Let's pray. 
Father, I want to thank you this morning for your love. I want to thank you for your word that's true altogether. I want to thank you for the plainness and the clarity with which you've spoken in your word today. You love us enough to tell it like it is so that we can know that we're either lost or we're saved. And in our soul and our spirit, we know that this morning, Father. I'm convinced that right now your Holy Spirit, those that may be here this morning, maybe they've been putting it off. Maybe they've been trying to weigh the evidence. Maybe they've been, maybe they've been looking for another sign or something. But this morning, your Holy Spirit has said, okay, here it is. You've got to make a decision with this. What are you going to do? Oh, Father, let them know how much you love them. Draw them to you. If you're here this morning, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's word is clear. It's very clear. You're either saved or you're lost. And God's word is clear. If you wouldn't believe the testimony of the living Lord, you wouldn't believe anything else that God could do. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't take that chance with the soul that God's given you. If you're here and that's you and you've never trusted him, right now would be a good time to pray and say, God, this morning I understand clearly. And I know it's about not being in church. I know it's not about giving money. I know it's about, not about doing things, but it's about receiving the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. He died for us and receiving him as our Lord and letting him save us. And this morning I ask you to come into my heart. Save me. It's simple, but if you believe it and you mean it with all your heart, he will do that very thing right now. Just ask him to come into your heart. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand up. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to rejoice and pray for you. Just put your hand up and put it right back down and join those others at first service that accepted the Lord. That's you. Raise your hand and put it right back down. Father, I thank you. And now, Father, I pray this morning, you may be here as a Christian brother or a Christian sister this morning, and you may, be, you may be waiting on God to do something that he's already done. You may be waiting on God to answer a specific prayer or do a specific thing before you commit totally to him. Listen, I'm, com- I'm convinced. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died for me and he loves me. But I found myself this morning, I found myself just grumbling and trying to get out of bed and tired of hurting and tired of being, feeling lousy and just telling the Lord how much I needed to feel good again. And he didn't even have to speak a word to me. I heard what I was saying and I was convicted. And I said, God, if you never answer another prayer for me, you don't have to. Because you have blessed me tremendously. You saved me. You love me. You saved me. You've given me a life worth living. You've given me a wife that's a Christian wife that I can never ask for better. Lord, you've saved my children, our children. And Lord, we've got wonderful grandkids. And some of them know you. And the young ones, we're praying that when they get old enough, they'll come to know you. Lord, you don't have to do another thing. I want to serve you the rest of my life. I want to give you what there is left. Take it and use it for your glory. 
Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you just need to come to the realization. Maybe you need to, you need to experience what, you're so much, probably so much farther ahead than I was, but the Lord just let me hear my silly prayer this morning. Now, it's not wrong to pray, help me feel better. There's nothing wrong with that. Understand that. But it's everything wrong if we're waiting for him to do something for us more so we can love him because he's done more than enough right now. Maybe that's you and you just need to say, God, you know what? This morning, I just want you to know I love you and I'll serve you. You've got my last breath and all my breaths in between. I'm yours. I'm not going to look, but maybe you just need to raise your hand right now between you and the Lord and say, you know what? That is me this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, for who you are. And put it right back down. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.